Welcome back to the Vibrantly Gray podcast. I'm your host, Kathy Working. Here in the Vibrantly Gray community, we support older women in pursuing their big dreams. I believe that age should never be a barrier to achieving one's goals and living a meaningful life. In today's episode, I hope you will be inspired and empowered to live your life vibrantly. Hello, today we're going to talk about nonprofit organizations. I'm sure many of you have dreamt about starting a nonprofit to address an issue, such as climate change or food insecurity, animal abuse, lack of housing, addiction. I could go on and on because unfortunately we live in a society where there are plenty of issues to choose from. I started a nonprofit in 2013. We called it On The Move Art Studio. We provide free art lessons to at-risk people. We do not want money to stand in the way of access to the many benefits of art. I'll tell you more about On The Move in just a little bit. I'm going to be frank with you about the challenges of starting and running a nonprofit organization. But I also want to share the tremendous joy this brought me over the last 10 years. So first, I'll throw some cold water on your idea. According to the National Center on Charitable Statistics, 30% of nonprofit organizations close within 10 years of their startup. The top reasons for failure is number one, no surprise, lack of funding. Number two is no business plan. Number three is burnout by the staff. And number four is not evolving as their community's needs change. Post-COVID has been a wild ride for nonprofits. First of all, there is a pretty serious lack of workers in the nonprofit sector in the last few years. In 2020, during the height of the COVID pandemic, The nonprofit sector lost 1.6 million workers. Now, some have returned, but the overall numbers are still down. According to Johns Hopkins Economic Data Project, in August of 22, the sector was down 76,000 jobs. There's also been a lack of volunteers since COVID. This is a nationwide trend the U.S. Census Bureau and AmeriCorps surveys reported a 7% drop from 2019 to 2021. And the numbers have not rebounded since COVID. So, okay, we've got a lack of workers and a lack of volunteers. That's the reality. But let me share my stories so you can see how all of this can be navigated. So in 2010, I started teaching art classes to children. I previously had taught for many years. I'd taught adult education courses, and I had just started homeschooling my own children and decided that teaching art classes would be a way to have my my daughters interact with other people. I kind of surveyed around and saw that homeschool families often didn't know how to approach the teaching of art. And I had studio space. 
So in 2010, like I said, I started teaching art classes to homeschooled children and added a couple of after-school programs too. I really enjoyed that. And over the next two years, I started understanding the benefits of art to children. And I also started understanding more the cost to take art lessons. So I started thinking about how could I offer free art classes to at-risk youth. That was in 2012 when I started musing about how to address that issue. In 2013, I met a young man by the name of Josh Nadsom who had a similar dream. Now, at the time, he was going for you know, a big concept dream where there would be an art center and eventually a workforce training center. I mean, we were talking millions of dollars and he's very good at recruiting people to work on projects. He was shooting big and I thought that was a great idea too. Had some concerns about whether or not such a big project, we would be able to pull it off. And after a couple of years, well, probably more like a year, we both started realizing that small was the way to go. We decided to really make it a grassroots effort. And so I came up with the idea of taking a vintage camper trailer and restoring it and converting it to a trailer that could take art lessons and supplies to different neighborhoods and locations, schools, other nonprofits, community parks, uh, that kind of thing. So I found a 1969 Streamliner camper. His name is Arthur, by the way. And we gutted it and painted it and put storage cabinets in it. And in 2015, Arthur was looking really good and we were ready to launch. Now, simultaneously, we had to go through the steps to form a nonprofit organization. We are a now a 501c3. And we needed to develop bylaws and a board of directors and all of that really not so fun stuff. But there are things that we needed to do. So in 2015, we were ready to take Arthur on the road and launch our programming. For the next five years, my primary role with the organization was teaching and helping new instructors get the skills to work with this particular population. We did most of our, our teaching to elementary school age students, and we targeted partnering with other nonprofits who were also providing services like after-school tutoring and and food and, and that kind of thing to children who were living in poverty. We also, when we worked with schools, we made sure that we worked with Title I schools and ones that were hard cases of that particular category where the free and reduced lunch percentage was 75% and over. So I was mostly involved with teaching, getting the curriculum together for the different sites who wanted to have us work with them, wrote some grants. I also 
advise the board of directors as we were really starting something from nothing, which was exciting, but a little daunting too. We had a couple of schools who hired us as their visual art departments because their budgets wouldn't allow for a full-time art teacher. And so we would go in, you know, once one day a week and provide art to their students. So between 2015 and 2020, we served thousands of kids. Our donations were small, you know, $25, $50, $100 was considered a big one, but they were consistent. We had good public visibility and were getting good press. And the word was spreading that, you know, we had a service that was unusual and and helpful. We also landed some small grants annually, usually between, you know, a thousand to five thousand dollars max. And then COVID hit in 2020 and all of our activities came to a screeching halt. Josh had been serving as a full-time executive director and he was forced to resign due to lack of money coming in and no programming being done. So in July of 2020, I became the halftime executive director and my job was just to keep things afloat during COVID and also develop plans to pivot our services. During that time, I developed the Elder Art Project, which is a program that takes art lessons into assisted living centers. We're usually there once a week and we work with all sorts of abilities as well as skill level in terms of whether or not they've had art lessons prior. We did try to hold some classes for kids via Zoom, but I think the kids were kind of Zoomed out after a day of online learning. And so those didn't work out as well as we had hoped. By the way, the elder art during the lockdown, I was making videos and going over to the different centers with art supplies. And then the the staff was showing the videos through in-house channels and then also assisting with the doing of the project. So as you know, things slowly started opening up. And so I'll fast forward to 2023. It's still a struggle to keep afloat, but in a different way than during COVID. Mostly what I'm challenged by is balancing the demand and our capacity. And I'm still half time. I'm supposed to work 25 hours a week. And usually it's 30 to 35 hours that I put in. And then I have three part-time art instructors who go to the various sites. Because of my directing role, I'm not able to teach And that's been an an interesting change for me. I fill in sometimes, but that rarely needs to happen. The demand for our services has grown because schools and other nonprofits now realize that art is a tool for healing from trauma and grief. 
I tried to get people to understand this prior to COVID and it was falling on deaf ears. And all of a sudden the skies opened up and people understood what I was talking about, which is great. I'm not making fun of them. I'm just glad that they came around to my way of thinking. The elder art program is growing and we are currently teaching at the Regional Juvenile Detention Center. We are the art department for the school that's, that is um, centered in, in that facility, and we have opportunities to expand that program. So there's a lot you know, that I'm, I'm juggling around. In terms of the demand, as I said, that is continuing to grow. However, our capacity is not. Grant funding is currently very difficult to come by. The competition for dollars is high. Donations have been down. The group Giving USA reports 3.4% decrease in charitable giving in 2022. And I just have to say, I have these statistics on hand because I found solace in the fact that I am not alone in struggling with obtaining grants and donations. You know, sometimes we put our blinders on and think, oh gosh, it's something that I'm doing that's wrong or I'm missing opportunities. And it's like, no, it's a difficult funding environment right now. As I said earlier, our volunteer numbers are down. We relied a lot on volunteers and interns to assist at community events. We would get a lot of our volunteers from area colleges, and they were easy to come by, and now they are not. We're not getting contacted about interns. We've gone to some volunteer and internship fairs, and that has not worked out particularly well. So I don't want to sound like a sad sack because there's lots of really positive things that's going on. We, we primarily still work with children, but I'll just talk a little bit about the middle 13 through 18 age group that we work with at the Juvenile Detention Center, and they absolutely love their art classes. They love our instructor. They are eager to create. It really gives them a sense of pride. We are having a little contest in terms of choosing a painting that On the Move is going to be using on the flyer and social media promotions for an event that's coming up this fall. And they are like asking, you know, every time our instructors there, you know, have you decided when are we, when are we going to do it? Who's going to get chosen? All that kind of stuff. And our presence has also, I think, propelled the principal there who is, has always been supportive of our work, but they are now beautifying part of the center. The kids are involved with the painting of the courtyard and it just, our work is bringing a different energy to the place. And we're really grateful for that opportunity. So here are some tips for dealing with a challenging environment. If you are thinking about starting a a nonprofit or you are already running one. 
First, make sure that you have a fundraising strategy. We've started using a fundraising platform that's called GiveButter. And so far, we are liking it very much. One of the biggest things about fundraising is that you need to build relationships with potential donors. And that platform, which is we're using the free plan with it, really is helpful. You need to make sure that you have a strategic plan in place and always come back to it. It will guide your decisions. If you have employees currently or you will be hiring some in the future, make sure that you appreciate that. Most of the time, workers in the social service sector, nonprofit sector, they really don't make as much money as they could in the for-profit sector. And so any ways that you can show that you appreciate them will go a long ways to compensate for that lower salary. And then you need to make sure that you innovate. Always don't get comfortable with what you do. Always be looking at how needs have changed in the communities you serve, as well as, you know, what you can achieve with little funding. So I'm not giving up, even though the context is challenging. What it's done is forced me to become more creative and strategic in what we do. I'm getting pretty good at saying no to organizations who want us to do work with them yet can't pay for it or going to community events where I don't believe we make as much of an impact as we do when we are in a classroom or a park with students that we see weekly. I've developed an art parties program where people can book parties with us. And these are people who can pay for these parties, uh, children's parties, girls night out, corporate team building, that kind of thing. So I'm just about ready to launch that program. The money garnered from that program will fund some of our other projects and hopefully give us enough money to be able to hire some more staff. I've also developed a curriculum that's called Artist of All Colors. There is a profound lack of artists of colors in children's art curricula. And so I've developed a program that we will then be selling memberships online to parents, maybe homeschool teachers, public school teachers, anyone who's working with, it'll be sixth grade through probably high school uh, with our target audience. So here are some tips on how to start a nonprofit. Number one is make sure you are passionate about the issue you will address and that you are willing to be uncomfortable as challenges will be coming your way. So you need to do a very honest self-inventory so that you are really clear that this is your love. That will will help you ride out uh, a lot of uh, storms as you put together this organization. Number two, do a thorough assessment of the issue in your proposed service region. And also research other nonprofit organizations who are addressing the same or similar issues. 
you really need to understand how the issue uh, arises in your in in your targeted community, what the uh, ramifications of the issue uh, are in your community, and then look at how other nonprofits are addressing the issue so that you don't duplicate uh, services that are already available. I think one of the reasons why we were so successful early on is that no one else was doing what we were doing. A lot of organizations are assisting at-risk youth, but they are not doing it in the way that we are. And so we captured attention because of our uniqueness. Number three, craft a very clear and concise mission statement, and then paste it on your bathroom mirror so that you can remind yourself. Your mission statement is your why, and it is your guiding light for your daily activities. Number four, be patient as you go through the steps of applying for your nonprofit status with the federal government. It takes time and it's, you know, it's a lot of work, but it allows you to apply for grants. It allows you to make your donations tax exempt, which is something that donors are looking for. In the meantime, consider finding a fiscal sponsor until you are approved with your nonprofit status. And a fiscal sponsor is simply another nonprofit who already has nonprofit status with the federal government, and they can sponsor you as you are soliciting donations and applying for grants. Usually they take about 10 to 15% of what you collect under their sponsorship. So because there is, you know, person power and budget management on their part. Number five, gather support people around you who bring to the table different skills. For example, with On The Move, we have artists, we have business people, we have accountants, we need detail-oriented people to kind of offset my big picture orientation. We need extroverts to balance out the introverts in the group. And you need to have people who are well-connected in the community. Okay. And the last one is I, I told you that you needed to put your mission statement on your bathroom mirror to remind yourself why you began this adventure. And it might be a good idea to add a few pictures of the people your nonprofit is serving. On the Move has a pretty active Facebook page. And so we post a lot of pictures that our students have made. And if I'm feeling disheartened, I just like to scroll through some of those pictures and look at the smiling faces and the, the sense of pride in what they're making. And, and that's all I need. That fills me up. So when you are up and running, just keep in mind that you can't avoid the pitfalls that will lead to the organization's demise. Remember that 30% statistic that I shared with you at the first part of this? Again, I'm going to uh, repeat what I suggest that, you, suggest that you do just a little while ago. Develop a fundraising strategy. Make sure you've written a clear strategic plan. Appreciate your employees and innovate. 
So starting and running a nonprofit has been a real joy for me. I love knowing that our students are enjoying themselves and benefiting from our lessons. My position plays right into my love of creative problem solving and adapting to change. So, you know, running a nonprofit is an excellent fit with my interests and my personality. I do not get bored with it. Every day is something new. If you are interested in starting and managing your own nonprofit and feel you would benefit from a coach, I do offer this type of coaching at a reasonable price. You can email me or direct message me through the Vibrantly Gray Facebook page. The links are in the show notes. And I will post a a few photos about On The Move Art Studio in the Vibrantly Gray Facebook page as well so that you all can get a sense of what we do. Thank you and best wishes in pursuing your dream of starting or growing a nonprofit organization. It is truly, truly a fulfilling experience. I hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you did, please join our community on Facebook. There, you will find reading suggestions, meaningful dialogue, and additional stories of women who are going big. The link is posted in the show notes. As Betty Friedan said, aging is not lost youth, but a new stage of opportunity. So let's do it together.